Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you're listening to episode 24 of Tate. That's T-A-I-T, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. Actually, this is a really special episode because it is Tate's second birthday. So join me in a little cheer. Woohoo! And a hearty happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Tate. That's T-A-I-T, short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. Happy birthday to you. Okay, so that's enough silliness and I will let you sink your teeth into the delicious little birthday treat that is episode 24. I'm here at the CoLab Factory with Artistic Director of Parabolic Theatre and former CoLab Venue Manager, Owen Kingston. So, hello Owen. Hello. <laughs> uh, this is very long overdue. We've been trying to get together for a chat for I don't even know how long now. <laughs> so, uh, it's really nice to have you here because I know you're busy at the moment getting mm. things up and running for Land of Nord yes. in Croydon. Yes. So, can we start off, can you tell the listeners just a little bit about kind of your background, your training and how you came to be sort of involved in a massive wow, theatre okay. performance. Yeah, uh, so um, I uh, was a student at York University mm-hmm. many, many moons ago uh, and did uh, the English and Related Literature course there. Uh, and the year that I was there was uh, the year before they put their writing and performance course up. So we had uh, the option to test a lot of the papers for the writing and performance course uh, in our year group for, for the English oh, great, so, great. so I ended up doing quite a few of the, the things that were available uh, for that and then also while we were there uh, we had Max Stafford-Clark come and do a year's residency there mm-hmm. um, uh, which was very exciting uh, so I got to work with him a little bit um, and then uh, yeah so I was there three years and then that was that and, uh, and went off into doing uh, conventional theatre, really, for, for quite a long time. And was um, that directing, acting? Directing, directing mostly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, directing and a bit <coughs> of writing. and um, Really ended up doing an awful lot of stuff to pay the bills. Uh, I ended up doing quite a lot of uh, theatre and education and youth theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, settled in Croydon, got married and settled in Croydon. And uh, that was uh, when I got involved with a lot of things in Croydon. So I worked at the Warehouse Theatre for a little while before it closed down, uh, running the youth theatre there, and also uh, for Croydon Youth Theatre Organisation, which is a huge youth theatre thing. So, uh, really, for the first 10 years or so, that was my bread and butter, actually. It was, was mm. how I paid kind the of theatre, yeah. theatre, theatre. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. not really doing a lot of my own work. Mm-hmm. Just having to do a lot of that kind of stuff to, to keep money coming in. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also a bit of teaching, taught at Margaret Howard Theatre College for a while, uh, which was interesting <laughs> and uh, <laughs> good fun. Um, but yeah, so yeah, teaching is actually quite useful, isn't it? Because yeah. it sort of consolidates practices yeah. when you, as soon as you have to start to explain them. To somebody else. Yeah, you have to think about it. Yeah, yeah you have lovely. to think about it in, in interesting ways. And, and it can provide yeah. you with a, a, a sort of little petri dish that you can play with to, to yeah. test things out and try. It becomes like a little laboratory. Yeah. In some respects, and which actually, is really interesting. It was teaching at Margaret Theatre College, Margaret Howard Theatre College, where I first started playing around with, I guess what we'd now call immersive techniques and ideas, mm-hmm. um, but we weren't calling it that then. When I started working no. in theatre, physical theatre was the buzzword. Everything had to be Everything physical theatre. Everything was theater. physical theatre. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you <laughs> everybody 
there were 10 new physical theatre companies starting every day. That's right. That's yeah, right. And if you could somehow link that to what you were doing, then there, that was how Which you is interesting, isn't it? Because Punch Drunk's approach is effectively physical theatre. Yeah. So and it's, it's a company of... that started in that time. Exactly. So, so you can sort of see yeah. some of the organic roots of Definitely. where those things grow out. And actually, Definitely. lots of the American uh, companies that are operating in New York yes. have still have that, yeah. that very much that yeah. form at the heart of what they do. Absolutely. Which yeah. I think is quite interesting. Yeah. And it, it was actually at that time, I, one of the reasons I didn't come out of university and instantly start a company was because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. really. And I'd seen a lot of friends and a lot of other people start companies straight away, straight out, coming out of university, and they go for maybe a year or two and yeah, then, and then they peter out. Yeah. And pretty much everybody was starting a company that was going to specialise in uh, rein- reinterpreting, <laughs> well, either that or, or reinterpreting classic texts uh-huh. uh, or uh, alongside modern work, which is not specialising in anything. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, a really good way of saying a whole lot of nothing. It totally it? is. But, and, and, and you still hear that today. I still hear about the yeah. companies doing that. Yes, we want to, to reinterpret classic texts in modern well, context. Actually, it's and, interesting because a lot of the early immersive works and still the really big companies mm. are adapting text, yes. are adapting oh, plays. Yeah, absolutely. They yeah. have those. those roots in theatre and I think this is um, I'll come on to talk about this a bit more but I think this is actually one of the interesting things about work that is now starting to come out of or be shown in places like this in the factory Mm. that doesn't always especially in its roots and its origins when it all began it didn't really have that relationship to theatre in that traditional way which I think is quite interesting so you founded um, Parabolic Theatre uh, when did you kind of you started in Croydon obviously and founded it there so when did you start parabolic as well, we might know it now. Um, after the warehouse theatre closed there was a bit of a vacuum in Croydon there wasn't really mm-hmm. a space in Croydon that was accessible to certainly not to fringe companies um, and the warehouse, uh, the Fairfield Halls closed only a few years after that but um, there was a gap in the market and somebody introduced me to a cafe owner a lovely guy who started a Matthews Yard uh, cafe in Croydon which has been like a, a hub of regeneration in Croydon to be honest with you mm-hmm. um, and uh, they wanted to put a theatre into that cafe and somebody introduced me to him and so we started working on putting a, a theatre together so I ran a little fringe venue in that cafe for a while uh, and that w- programmed it and that was um, that was the start of Parabolic Theatre although I didn't I don't think I knew it at the time yeah yeah, um, yeah. Because around about that time, uh, I started to uh, become really, really interested in in sort of the modern take on immersive theatre. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, was so that in around sort of 2014? Yeah, 2014, 2015, yeah, yeah, that kind of time. So uh, when The Drowned Man was on, um, an old friend of mine who was at university with, who was in the show, uh, had put a thing out on Facebook that I saw saying, this is the best thing I've ever done, uh, if you don't come and see it, uh, then uh, why are we friends on Facebook? You know, that, was, that was basically what he said. And, uh, and uh, this is a guy I'd not really seen much of for, for years, but I sent him a little message that said, I'm really sorry, I've not seen the show. I hadn't seen any of Punch Drunk's work up to that point. Yeah. I'd become a little jaded hearing about Punch Drunk, as I think some people, when you hear about something that's very successful yeah. and that people really are passionately love, yeah. um, kind of and everybody Uber keeps telling you about that, yeah. and you, you get a little bit jaded about it, surely it can't really be that good. And <laughs> um, you have, I have it with films sometimes. If, if people's, everyone's telling me to go and yes. watch a specific film, yeah. I almost don't want to watch it out of well, spite. You're probably you know? going to be disappointed. Yeah, because, because it's been that, built up. That yeah. built up. And I was I think, quite lucky because I got to see Punch Drunk before a lot of the hype yes, so yes, sort of followed so you had them from the beginning from the yeah. beginning but for me the more and more it's become yeah. 
kind of hyped, I think the less it has the things that I really enjoy about these yes. experiences. Yeah. <laughs> well, my friend had been involved with them since since the beginning, and yeah. uh, but I'd never I'd never gone along to see any of the stuff. I just, mm-hmm. just hadn't done it. Also, there's and the thing that's not really talked about as well, which is the price barrier. Yeah, yeah. Because it is, is. It's an know, issue. Yeah, definitely. And it, particularly if you don't know whether or not that's something you're going to like, it's quite yeah. a pump to take. Um, but also beyond that, I think I've become quite jaded by theatre generally. Yeah, yeah. I've actually become quite disappointed by theatre. And even though I was running this little fringe mm-hmm. venue, uh, we were programming a lot of work by new companies, and uh, it was something that I had always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was finding myself just really bored by by watching plays, and and uh, theatre was turning me off. I'm the same. People are so surprised, like, but you're a theatre academic, and you don't really like theatre very much. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Yeah. But I think that that broader yeah. performance yeah. umbrella. But I'd, I'd kind of largely stopped taking a risk on theatre. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And stopped going to see things on a punt. Well, it's not like um, going to the cinema where you pay a tenner. That's right. And it, it's, it's always a bit more. It's always of an a bit more, and it's yeah. a, a far less reliable experience in the cinema. Absolutely. I mean, there are crap films, of but there are. Um, but I just feel like, and I think a, a lot of people probably feel like you have a more reliable, if you, if you go and see a film and you read the blurb about it and you watch the trailer, mm-hmm. you get a pretty good idea of whether you're going to like it or not. And no one's going to get offended if you get up and leave halfway through in the cinema. Absolutely, because the actors aren't present. So. <laughs> yeah. But in the theatre, um, I, I always feel really disingenuous, even yeah. if I'm really yeah. not having a good time yeah. getting up and leaving. Yeah. So I'm like, you, you, you can see me yeah, and I know just, how that feels. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so I've become quite jaded by watching theatre and... and uh, Anyway, um, he, he posted this thing and, and, and he was offering a, a discount code to mates. Ooh. And so I thought, it's not going to it was going to be like 25 quid or something. Oh, so like so I thought, all right, that's still more than I'd spend on an average theatre show. Yeah, yeah. But it does sound kind of exciting. And he's in it. And yeah, all right, I'll go. Mm-hmm. So I went along to see The Drowned Man. And uh, the first time I saw it, I thought, this is really quite cool and impressive, but I didn't really completely get it. Impressive. Yeah, it? it was very impressive. Like, it was the, overwhelming. The scenography is yeah, overwhelming, isn't yeah, it? It's just... remarkable. And I'd never seen anything like that. And not really considered that that would be possible mm. either, which mm. was, was interesting. But, um, but I didn't really completely get it. I think I didn't... I actually spent most of the time exploring the set and didn't really latch yeah, onto any of the narratives. I, I missed the first... Well, everyone who listens yeah. knows, I missed... Every bit of performance yeah. in, in Mask of the Red Death. I didn't right. even know there were scenes. And <laughs> only chat to people afterwards, and they're like, "Oh, I saw this and that." I was like, "What? what? <laughs> there were scenes?" Yeah. I was like, "What?" I was having fun crawling yeah. through fireplaces and mm. rummaging through drawers, but I didn't realise there were people. <laughs> but, but yeah, so so uh, that was similar. I, I mean, I did see some stuff, but I didn't. Contemporary dance had never been my thing. Yeah. Um, although I taught a. a, 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 a and that was a busy show college. as well. There were a lot of yeah, that's right. audience yeah. in that show, so yeah. it was difficult, I think, at times as well to yeah. to access some of the that's things right. that were happening. So, in that space. so I kind of left feeling overwhelmed and really quite impressed, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm not sure I really got it. And then I thought, well, actually, I'd, my wife should really watch this as well. Like mm-hmm. she'd, she'd enjoy it. She knows so and so. Uh, so uh, we booked again um, uh, so that she could come with me and so we could watch it together. And it was the second time I saw it where I got it because I'd already explored the set at that point. So I started looking at the characters and following yeah. the characters, and and uh, got so drawn into some of the performances. Mm. And I thought this is it. this is incredible. Like, it, it 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 was a life changing experience for me. Yeah. Um, and I went back another nine or ten times. Well, after they showed that. us what was possible because I think everyone, even most theatre makers, didn't realise something on that scale. Yeah. 
was a possibility. And that for me, I've been interested in that style of performance before, that idea of giving the audience a huge amount of agency, allowing them to explore. Mm. Um, and I tried things out like that, but always on a very small scale, and I'd mm. never felt like it was scalable. Yeah, I couldn't yeah, yeah. see how to scale it. And so I'd largely just abandoned it as a curiosity and something that was fun to do, yeah. but was never really going to make any money. And almost in some ways, the realm of live art and performance art, because they've been doing that since yeah. the 20s, uh, this kind of intimacy, interaction mm. and engagement. But again, like you said, it's always been this sort of strange, mm. very aside curiosity that's sort of yes. not mainstream. And of course, that punch drunk sort of shifted. Yeah. That Absolutely, which yeah, dramatically, that's, that's, that is their contribution, I think, to, to, to theatre, yeah. uh, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I, what, what interested me as well was linking it back to the, the work of different theatrical practitioners. Mm -hmm. You can see a fulfilment of the ideas of some of these guys working in the early 20th century, Absolutely. who never really realised in their lifetime no. what, that, what could be achieved with what... what, what the ideas that they wanted to achieve, they never, they never saw achieved well, like, in the way they wanted to. Oh, it's so interesting. Yes. I always, I, I pull, pull students up on this and they call him a practitioner. I was like, no, 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 he's, he's a theorist, effectively, yes. because yeah. he never realised anything in practice in a significant or no. meaningful way. No. He, he just wanted to see a particular thing. But he had I these think, ideas and he, yeah. he never realised yeah. them. And yeah. I think since the 1960s, there's been all these kind of, especially in live art and performance art, all these kind mm. of experiments, like the living theatre and mm. people who tried these things, but they were so fringe mm. yeah. and came from a really odd place culturally and socially yes. and politically. That then they become that they were marginalised. Yeah, I think, I think of, of mainstream practitioners, Grotowski's probably got the closest. Oh, absolutely. In terms of realising uh, something that the audience are, well, I guess what we would say, immersed by. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you look at some of his productions. And that authenticity yeah. that sits in the heart of, of that exchange and yes. that site and that space. And also I think looking at his work and looking at Punch Drunk and the, the physical theatre connection is interesting as well. Yes. And the, the, yeah. the, you know, that, that I think is... And they're linked to theatre, because yeah. a lot of, like you said, those other curiosities have no relationship with the theatre. Yes. They have relationships with performance and other kind of forms that sit around that, but not the theatre. No, that, yes, I, yeah. I, and I think this is the first time it all sort of just Yeah. And, and, and what, you could, what you can see there is very clearly art. What, yes. what Punchdown were creating there was something that was, was beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, so it changed my life. Um, mm -hmm. uh, really... From that point, I grilled my friend uh, <laughs> over over Facebook Messenger a little bit on what they did, and, and and then met up with him after one of the shows and talked to him a bit more and tried to just get an understanding of how what their process was and in a way and did some research and thought I really want to make work like this. Well, that's really interesting. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast is mm. because access to how. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty hard actually. Of course, some, there are <laughs> yeah. academic texts, there are books, mm. um, still quite few in comparison yeah. to other disciplines, but none of them really get at the heart of no, how yeah. practically, and of course Absolutely. there's been a couple of handbooks come out in the last year or so that give us a bit more insight into Which that. Is great. Yeah. But that's relatively a new yeah. situation, but before this, it's like people were like, well, how, literally, how do you run a show like that? How do you manage a show like that? How do you yeah. rehearse a yeah, show? Yeah, definitely. And also, like, where, um, how do you feed in... Uh, the theory of uh, uh, you know uh, 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 past practitioners. How do mm. you join those dots together? You know, yeah. what, what impressed me so much with with um, uh, with the drama in particular is it felt like a combination, particularly of Artaud's theory mm -hmm. um, and and, and, Grotowski's and Grotowski's practice. practice. Yeah, and and 
Yeah, I um, did me. And I a really thought, filmic yes. sensibility yeah. in terms of scenography, uh, yeah, which to- yeah, we haven't totally. seen before. Yeah. In the uh, which is entirely functional. Yeah, yeah. Which was beautiful. So, uh, so yeah. So obviously, then I found myself sitting in a little studio theatre space, uh, wishing that I was at Temple Studios and thinking, <laughs> how can I even access something like that? How can I uh-huh. make that work like that? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really just bent all of my will towards it. <laughs> was, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, would, it was an idea that wouldn't leave me alone. It was something that kept me awake at night. Getting thinking, your bones, yeah, doesn't that's it? Right. Yeah, and you yeah. start thinking of, of shows that you'd like to explore, you know, uh, uh, plays that texts you'd like inside, to explore. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's, that's what started Parabolic Theatre. And then while we were... When I was working at that little studio, we, we put on a couple of different prototype experimental things, which mm-hmm. were me playing around with ideas, trying to to work out how to to make work like this. Was Land of Nod the first the first iteration of that? Was that the first? No, it wasn't. Morning Star. Was it Morning Star? Yeah. So okay. Morning Star was something I threw together just for a few mates, uh, and it was it, it, when it first started life. It was almost a bit of an homage to the Drowned Man, actually, uh, in terms of. Um, we borrowed some of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, uh, yeah. There, there were various things there that, that were ideas that I'd seen. I, we we used some fun shrunk masks that yeah. we, we'd got in the drown man sale to initially put it together. It was, but it was never really intended for a wide audience. It was something I did for a few friends initially as an experiment for myself, mm-hmm. and then uh, somebody wanted. Uh, there was a, I was offered a gig. Uh, to doing a, a, a workshop about immersive theatre, which was a laugh because at that point I, knew, <laughs> I had a lot of theory but not much practice. But you know, I'm never going to turn down a gig. No, so, no, <laughs> no, no, and, and so we developed develop that as a kind of a teaching tool, or more of a sort of an explanatory tool, I suppose, so that mm-hmm. people could get an idea of what a one to one would feel like. Yeah. And, uh, it's so alien, yeah, I think, yeah. to traditional theatre going That's right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and this was going to be a, a gig with with a bunch of people who'd never seen the immersive theatre before, so and I can kind of tell why I liked. <laughs> often has a gaming element in a way that I think Punch Drunk's work doesn't, and yeah. even in Morningstar, yeah. that kind of free roaming. But there's a, a sort of game perspective that drives yeah. the impetus for roaming yes. in that space. Yeah. Because in there was a puzzle to be solved. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. in Punch Drunk you don't get that kind of thread that drives you, you can kind of drift and pick up on threads yeah. that you'd like to do. Yeah. But I think with your work much more, uh, running through all of them right from, from the beginning, I think there is this idea that there's a sort of game or playable aspect that mm. sits underneath that. Where do you think that influence in your work comes from? That sort of, are, are you a ga- tabletop gamer? Or? Uh, yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, we all are. Uh, oh, God, yeah. So a uh, long history of role playing games and tabletop games. Mm-hmm. And, other suitably geeky uh, things, uh, yeah. I th- that's been with me since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up playing um, sort of both fantasy and historical tabletop war games. Yeah. Uh, so I have a, a huge amount of miscellaneous knowledge about different periods of history that's entirely come Great. from war gaming. Okay. Uh, and yeah, D and D and other role playing games and things like that. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's a huge. And you're—I don't know if you still are—but I know when you first um, launched everything, you were the only registered 
theatre company in Croydon. I think we still are. Yeah, we still are. Yeah, so. Yeah. I find that astonishing. There's a couple of other theatre companies that are operating in Croydon who are great. There's Zuko, but I believe mm-hmm. they're registered outside of Croydon. There's okay. uh, Savvy Theatre Company who are registered in Sutton, I believe, but are now operating largely in Croydon. But I think we're the only company actually <laughs> registered, registered at an address in Croydon. So, <laughs> so what was the first piece? Was it Land of Nod? Was that the first piece you've the, got? Up and out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, we public. we did a we did a version of Morning Star for the general public mm-hmm. uh, at Matthew's Yard, which is the the studio space that was on Matthew's Yard studio. We called it at the time, and um, uh, so we did a version of Morning Star first, I think, uh, there, and then no, we didn't. No, I think Landon was the first thing we did there. I can't oh, remember. Was that now. where you met crazy. Zoe Flint as well? Yeah, so I known Zoe for a couple of years before that. So he came and did like a, an internship with me when I was running Matthew's Yard. So okay. uh, she um, just helped look after the venue and <laughs> yeah. helped with programming, every aspect of it really. Uh, so she was someone I met uh, doing youth theatre and she wanted to come to London and go to drama school and didn't get into drama school the first time around mm-hmm. and then wrote to me and said, can I come and work with you for a year? And yeah. I said, absolutely, yeah, no problem. Um, and was very helpful and very, was brilliant and stayed on and did a second year and Great. then ended up going to St Mary's after that. Um, and was actually a huge catalyst for getting some of that stuff off the ground because she came to see uh, the drama man uh, when I did as well, because right, uh, okay. after I'd got really into it, I was like, you have to see this, you have, you have to come see, see the show, and uh, and loved it too, and so we, we both got excited about creating uh, immersive theatre in in a, a bigger and a more impressive way at the same time. And you um, consulted on Hidden Figures as well, didn't you? Yeah, and, yeah. And that yeah, process involved yeah, in getting was, that. It was a real pleasure, actually, working with Paul, because he came to us with an idea Mm-hmm. And he was very upfront. He said, I've tried this out once before and it was a disaster. Uh-huh. Uh, he actually phrased it something along the lines of, uh, it wasn't so much as a, a plane crash, it was more of a helicopter crash into an orphanage. Oh, dear <laughs> <laughs> Wow, absolute uh, well, Yeah, and, uh, uh, and he said, I don't, it made me realise I don't really know what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. I think the idea's good. And, yeah. and so he sat down with me and Bert, and he, he kind of pitched us the idea. And we thought, actually, no, that idea is pretty good. Like, it's got some I came, to I went to the show, yeah. and actually it was great. Fantastic, it was wasn't it? Yeah. a brilliant little show. Um, yeah. uh, he was really lovely. He said, look, if you guys can help me, I'd love to do it, or I'd love to put it on here. We had a little gap in the schedule mm-hmm. uh, because of the sort of upheaval of not quite knowing when our lease is going to run out. Yes. And so it all just happened at the right time. And um, I wasn't able to, to, to direct that show because I was running the cutout factory. Mm-hmm. But um, but I put him on to Zoe, uh, who I thought would be good. Be able to do that, and they yeah. actually were here at a, uh, it was um, a lab collective were doing one of their workshops here. Oh, okay, uh, one of the grassroots. So both, both of them were here at a workshop together. And so they kind of got their heads together at that workshop, and, and that's where that started, that, that collaboration out, really began, yeah. uh, which was lovely uh, and nice that it had that start to it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like loads of it. Great. I know, it's really nice. Um, so, Land of Nod, how did it begin life, and how, how has it evolved for what's going to be happening Wow. Now? <laughs> um, so it started as an experiment, mm-hmm. um, a bit like Morning Star did, but it's an experiment of trying to evolve, involve more people. And I think one of the things that frustrated me is I really wanted to have a go at creating uh, a show that had uh, lots and lots of different narratives that were intertwined, mm-hmm. very similar to, to a punch drunk style of show. Um, but there were a few things I wanted to, to see if it would 
modifications to that model to see if they would work, yeah. I guess. And one of them was, could you make that model work outside? Could you make it work in the real world? Yeah. Um, because obviously so much about a punch show relies upon the contained space. Of course. And the fact that everything Absolutely. is in their control. Um, yes. And the minute you take something outside into the streets, you do not have control of the environment at all. You don't. No. So there were certain caveats it would need to take place in the in the present. It would need to be something that would fit with the backdrop of the modern world. You couldn't yeah. be wandering around in period costumes trying to pretend that... Yeah. <laughs> there aren't cars Absolutely. going by. Yeah. People dressed in skinny That's right. Jeans. It would just be ridiculous. So, <laughs> so we, we wanted to go for something that, that, that felt modern and, and, and it it would need to suit the area you were doing it. We were doing it in, and being a Croydon resident and someone who loves Croydon to bits, and how it was working at a theatre in Croydon, I thought it would be interesting to do a site-specific piece that was about mm -hmm. the city. Yeah. Um, we not that long before had had the the riots in Croydon, which yeah. is how the Matthews Art uh, Cafe and Theatre had started. It started out for response Coming to the riots that, yeah. to try and give uh, something to the local community and provide facilities for the local community as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was, I think, in the back of everyone's mind at the time, still is to a lesser extent. And there had been a huge spate of knife crime uh, problems going on for, for months, actually. And it still is today, which is partly why we're doing the show today. Now, yeah. 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 Um, so that was an obvious choice of narrative mm. uh, to, to anchor the show in. Um, and then we were just interested in trying to create something that uh, that the audience could explore, mm -hmm. and really just seeing if we if we said to the audience, uh, "You've got an hour to explore the town centre. Uh, you may meet some of our characters. Here's a map to make sure you don't get utterly lost. Mm -hmm. um, bye bye. <laughs> See you uh -huh. in an hour and a half. Uh -huh. uh, whether that would work, whether the they would find the narrative and hold on to it and make a story out of it through, yeah. or whether it would just fall to bits and they'd get lost and wander off and go home and it would be a total disaster <laughs> and we genuinely we genuinely didn't know whether that it was like 50 50. okay what so might just happen. a big risk then. total risk yeah. so we had a gap in the schedule in matthew's yard and i thought right we're, gonna, we're doing this we're gonna make it happen um, and we will do our best to make it work, mm -hmm. but we're going to charge a fiver for tickets, and if it all falls on its ass, then no one can no <laughs> complain too loudly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we actually gave a bunch of tickets away as well, because we wanted to have enough audience to make sure it would work. We didn't yeah. publicise it massively, because we didn't want to end up with huge amounts of egg all over our face if it did go completely wrong. Of course. Um, and we ensured it as best we could. <laughs> we tried to take as many of the legal boxes as we could. But really, it's quite difficult because there aren't, there isn't a legal structure for doing a show like that. No, there isn't. Small. All the infrastructure. This no. is really interesting as well. All the space for failure. Because um, Battersea Art was a really good hotbed for this a few mm. years ago, but uh, that seems to have shifted. Their direction has shifted a little bit, I think, yeah. since the fire. Um, and so at the moment, I think the factory is one of the spaces. Yeah. But even then, it's a big, it's a risk because these things cost money yeah, to get on. Absolutely, yeah. But when you're pushing forms, taking risks, yeah. trialing it's, things, it gets expensive. It's, it gets expensive and difficult. The, the, as the risks pile up on top of each other, mm -hmm. then you start asking yourself the question, why am I doing this at all? Yeah. And of course, if nobody ever did those things, then there'd be, never be any experimentation and everything would just keep going exactly as it is. So it exactly. has to happen at some so point. There has to be. And I yeah. think things like Matthew's Yard is, is, is really exciting because you have that chance to take the risks yeah. without huge financial yes. loss. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, we, we didn't we didn't have to pay for the space. 
So that cut out one of our huge risks. And we started yeah. and ended the show at the theatre space in Matthew's Yard as yeah. a way of just trying to tie it all together. But then the bulk of the time was spent exploring yeah. Old Town Groin. Yeah. Um, and we, pa- we partnered with this charity, Lives Not Knives, uh, who are a great charity. They do a lot of work for, for, for young people in Croydon, trying to give them alternative life choices. Mm-hmm. And so they were a great partner for that first initial run. They gave us access to some young people who had real life experiences that we could draw on in developing the narrative for the show, which okay. we thought was really important. Yeah. Um, because we wanted to be authentic about it, yeah. and uh, not just because we wanted to tell a, a realistic or naturalistic story, but we also wanted to be authentic about the subject matter and treat it right. Yeah. You know? um, so uh, yeah, so they were a great partner. They helped us in terms of liaising with the police and so on, making sure all that worked nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went for it, and uh, we had up to twenty people at a time. Um, it worked better with the smaller numbers. We had fewer actors. We only had uh, six actors mm-hmm. for that show. Mm-hmm. Everyone was doing it on a profit share basis, largely because they were interested in the experiment in the as experiment, well. experiment, of and course. Wanted yeah. to see if it worked. Yeah. And people who were interested in immersive theatre as well um, just wanted to play and have, well, have an opportunity to, mm-hmm. to work in that way. Um, and it worked better than we thought it, it would. We, we, we thought it would probably work nice okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's always a win. We thought it would probably work okay. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we were hoping for a bit of a win, but that it would have some problems. It, it wasn't flawless. It did have some problems. But uh, the main thing that we were testing, that idea of uh, giving the audience the complete freedom to explore mm-hmm. with only the thinnest of lifelines holding them, connecting them to the story, uh, that, that worked, mm-hmm. and audiences, not only did they find the story, but they held on to it tenaciously, mm-hmm. and they went with it, um, and the thing that we weren't expecting was how much audiences made their own fun. You know, you, you put something in front of an audience and they will make sense of it. Well, people one kind of, one of the reasons, I think those mechanics have to be tested, because the mechanic is the heart of yeah. all this kind of work, um, but I think people, especially grown-ups in our kind of culture, need permission to play. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. once you get that permission to play, I yeah. think people are really up for that. Definitely. Well, the kind of people that come to these kind of shows. Anyway, yeah. some people can't think of anything worse than having to yeah. kind of interact and engage. But if you're someone who enjoys play, yes. I think this kind of mechanic gives you, gives you a lot of the permission to do that. To yeah, do gives that. Permission. yeah, absolutely. And so I think... Yeah people will audience you kind of have them on your side yes because they want it to work too because they want to have fun and they want to be able to play so i think there's always that sort of willing like in the theater where you uh, suspend your disbelief i think you get a slightly different uh kind of response to these kind of audience who is like okay i'm gonna throw my hat in the ring here and i'm gonna play Mm. and so it's that willingness to play rather than a willingness to suspend yes Yes. Yes. That's very. That's and because of that, they're kind of they're behind you, and they yeah. want it to work, and they yeah. want to get to the end, or uncover the stories, or find the narratives. Yes. And so I think that that kind of mechanic relies on that yeah. to some to some extent. Definitely, and I that's think. what we saw with the show is that um, when when audiences arrived at it, and they all did with that that willingness to play, uh, it came alive, mm-hmm. and it came alive in unexpected ways. Um, we talk about Croydon as being uh, the central character in the show, really, because uh, it is a character in the show, a very unpredictable one of that. Um, and what we found was that the audiences would uh, latch on to everyday events, things mm-hmm. that we had not planned, things that were nothing to do with us, 
and make them part of the story. Yeah. And that could happen as simply as a police car going past at the right time mm -hmm. and them thinking, oh, that's the police on the way to that thing that I just called Happy coincidence, in. Absolutely, yeah. it feels part of the world because <laughs> they've made sense of it in that way. Absolutely. Or it could be as complicated as them seeing a dodgy-looking guy going into a chicken shop and handing over a bag to another guy and taking some money off him and then going back out again and deciding to follow that guy all the way up the street and then call our police hotline and say, I think I found somebody who's, who's just watched a, a drug deal happen. And, uh, and our actor at the other end of the phone thinking, that's nothing to do with us. <laughs> Maybe you should come into the, to, to the briefing room and uh, we'll take a statement for you. Actually, and, doing, <laughs> actually doing genuine crime, yeah. <laughs> Which did happen on one of the performances. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. Uh, Which again is another form of risk, isn't it? It is. Kind of yeah. Especially when you're working in real world yeah. spaces and not in kind of an enclosed sort That's of That's right, yeah. You, you don't world. know what's going to happen. I mean, our biggest fear is, is traffic and making sure that people don't accidentally die running across the road because they've got carried away following a character. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we try and brief it, we brief everybody very thoroughly at the beginning to try and make sure that everyone exercises the same level of Use caution. normal real world sense. In everyday life, yeah. Um, <laughs> which people do abandon quite freely when they get taken up with a story. Yes, um, they do. So we've got to be very careful with that. Um, but, but also, uh, that is part of the fun of the show as well, mm. and some beautiful moments come out of that. Uh, we've had an audience members talk, uh, we had an audience member talk to have a long conversation with a, with a homeless guy who they thought was part of the show, and then they discovered at some point the conversation was not at all part of the show, but had had this amazing Encounter, conversation with, yeah. nevertheless, which they wouldn't have had otherwise. So um, how long did it run for the first time you did it, sort of like back in 2014, 2015? We ran it for a week and a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, that was it, I think it was about 10 days. Um, very short run, only a handful of performances, uh, but that was enough to convince me that I needed to basically ditch what I was doing and start a new theatre company and that. just do a massive theatre. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't like, a, I wouldn't say it was a 100% successful experiment. There were things that didn't quite work. We had a couple of audience members who didn't find the narrative and fell completely out of the show, mm -hmm. uh, which was sad, but again, like useful feedback from them. Well, that's the reality is that theatre is an interesting place because failure is a really valuable Absolutely, and without it, you don't get respect. anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and we I, I think so perhaps we don't failure. celebrate it enough mm -hmm. because sometimes the most, the biggest lessons are learned from the biggest failures. But, Absolutely. Uh, so we, we had some problems, but... We were expecting about half the audience at least to have that as an issue, and it was really only one or two the people out of around a hundred odd who came to see it. So at that point, we thought, "No, this is this is working, no, that's working and we've yeah. we've hit something here, which is gold. Mm -hmm. uh, let's mine it. Let's mine the gold." No, absolutely. <laughs> um, if you find yeah. gold, you, yeah, you, you, keep, you, it you out. don't leave it alone. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't somebody just else keep mine the dust it. over yeah. it. Let someone Definitely. else have it. No, um, and and so we. Uh, it took another year and a bit to set up the company. Uh, it was the first company I'd set up. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd been out of university 12 years plus, something like that at that point. So, you know, done plenty of work in, in theatre, but most of it on the sort of youth theatre side of things. And yeah. and so I was like, right, this I've got to get serious about this now. Let's and so <laughs> joined the ITC and did all the jumps, all the hoops, and mm -hmm. set up the company properly. and. Uh, and then that was that. Uh, I handed over the studio at Matthew's Yard to somebody else. Um, 
they they wanted to get the the owner of the cafe wanted to get more serious with with that studio and and kind of mm-hmm. uh, try and upgun it more and uh, and then bundle seats matter don't they when yeah and and so he, he said to me you know do you, if you want to to keep doing this then we're gonna have to start showing because at the point at that time they weren't charging me anything to, yeah, to, yeah. I was just programming the space for them and then whatever we were taking just a percentage of box office and that was covering my costs and it was covering, covering their costs theirs, and that was yeah. it. But they were like, no, we need to actually make some money out of this space now. And so they were they, they gave me the first refusal, which was very kind of them, but at that point I was like, Do you know what? It's time to ditch this and start doing yeah. what I really want to do. I found what I want to do. It's taken exactly. ten years. <laughs> um, but I'm glad I found it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so go all in with it. And so what was next then after, as soon as you were set up then as Parabolic, what was kind of the first piece that you did? Um, that was, Parabolic Theatre. We'd, we'd already put together Morningstar and we'd already put together a version yeah. of Land and Lard, so the obvious thing was to, to, to revisit those yeah. and polish them and do them bigger and better and try and get them in front of a, of a larger audience. So we started with Morningstar, uh, yeah. which was the first thing that I'd really experimented <clears> around with. Um, and took it from what it had been and made it into a proper show that we could actually get some real audience for. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of that was getting music composed for it. Um, Lovely. And uh, so there was a, a guy who I've worked with in the past. I, I've done quite a lot of film work in the past as well, alongside all the youth theatre. I had various bits of film work over the years. And so there's a composer I'd worked with for film before. He came and scored the whole thing for us, which was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's currently off and on working on another project for me, which is going to be absolutely huge eventually. So it's good. There's a uh, we need. I think we worked out we need about sixteen hours of music out of him. So. Wow, <laughs> yeah. that's huge. So he and it's, he's like, this is going to take me a year or so. And he's, he started working on it uh, last year, so he sort of oh keeps is going back to that yeah, in between yeah. his other projects. Um, <laughs> So it's not the last we've heard of his music. He's a tremendous composer. Michael Ray, his name is. Uh, if you're listening, Michael, I don't think you will be, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, other people might go and Google him now. Yeah, they should, well. because he's phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I can't <laughs> sing his praises highly enough. He's what, that's, that's a huge part of what made that show, is the music, actually. And so did um, you keep making work in Croydon, or did you start yeah. to bring it into the city? Absolutely, yeah. So the first thing we did was at the Croydon Nights Festival. Uh, which is where Land of Nod is playing now at the Queen Arts Festival this say, year. Yeah, yeah. Queen Festival last year. Uh, the lady who runs that, Anna Arthur, is an absolute dynamo um, and has done amazing things for for, for the Croydon Arts scene in, in creating that festival from nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's grown again this year. It's basically doubled in size every year she's done it. It's so next incredible. year will be yeah, phenomenal. Be, like, yeah, yeah. And she's she's really... It's it's a festival of new theatre. So it's, it's, it's things that... It's new stuff that people have created. It's new writing. The brochure upstairs, actually. Yeah. I can't come back down again, which is really irritating. Yeah, it's the trouble not with being London-based. Yeah. Like, but she, she's tried to involve a lot of immersive theatre makers as well, people who are starting out mostly. Yes, so she gave cool. us a great platform to start with, which was mm. hugely helpful. Uh, Vinicius Salas, who's worked for, for Punch Drunk quite a lot, uh, his new company Errant are doing something there this year called Glitch which looks phenomenal yes, um, so that's well worth a look as well um, I, I imagine that will continue next year I would hope that she'll, she'll be 
able to include some, mm-hmm. some more massive companies. In and the are some of those companies kind of start to take work outside as well, that will start to draw yeah. more audiences back so. into the That's festival That's what we found too. a bit this year for, for our work. So Morningstar mm-hmm. was our first our first proper gig as Parabolic Theatre, and mm-hmm. uh, we did that underneath Croydon Town Hall in a wonderful space which uh, hadn't been used for about 70 years. Uh, it's so an old... space yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Which councils tend to have the keys for. Yes, they do. Um, just doing nothing. That's right. Uh, and what was amazing about that whole thing was we we stumbled across it. We were looking for a space to do the show. We were looking. We nearly had a different space inside the inside the shopping centre there, inside the Wicker Centre, uh, and that fell through at the last minute. And so um, we were getting a bit desperate. We had a couple. We, we'd advertised the show as having a space. Uh, at a secret location and um, it was so secret we didn't even know where it was (laughs) (laughs) and uh, about a week before the show uh, was due to open about two weeks before the show was due to open I went and had a chat with the guy who manages the town hall and if you imagine in your mind's eye your average council employee this guy's complete opposite of that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, whereas I have in the past been monumentally frustrated by council employees who, are, mm-hmm. who like to say no as a default to as everything. Default. And he's completely the opposite. He, uh, he, he's um, the guy who, who manages the town hall. Uh, he comes from a hotel background, so he Great. was a very customer service oriented fella. And uh, we explained what we wanted to do. He said, oh, he said it was an immersive horror-themed show. And he said, oh, I love horror. And we had a long chat about horror for about 10 minutes. And he uh-huh. said, right, uh, this is space. I, I need to show you the, this space. You'll love it. And he took us down into the bowels, the, the, the earth, basically, oh, right down wow. into the, underneath the tunnel where there was this uh, Second World War era um, uh, bomb shelter, essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, we weren't able to use all of it because uh, some of it's given over to document storage. Yeah. But the uh, the tunnels that connect the various rooms together were unused, oh, wow. and so and just deliciously creepy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. had that smell of sort of aged, musty yeah. disuse. <clears throat> Rather uh, like yeah. like where we Rather are like right where now. We are now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but if you go to a lot of uh, immersive work, it will be a smell that you will know fondly. <laughs> Absolutely. <yeah. laughs> and so I walked in there. I thought I'm I'm home. And it was perfect, so we, we created the, the space we needed down there for that. Uh, and the, the festival gave us a huge amount of support. They, they gave mm-hmm. us some money to get us going, uh, and a lot of kind of logistical support to just get the show up and running. Croydon Council gave us a huge amount of support as well. The Croydon Council mm-hmm. have been doing some really good things for the arts recently. Mm-hmm. They employed a lady called Paula Murray, who, is, who used to be involved heavily with, with Brighton Council. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've kind of stolen her to try uh-huh. and regenerate the arts in Croydon. Yeah. And she's done fantastic work. And one of the things that Croydon Council is still offering at the moment is a, a grant matching scheme. So if you're able to attract any kind of funding, Other funding yeah. they will match that pound for pound up to £10,000. Wow, that, that um, is incredible. It's really good. And we've just benefited from that ourselves for Land of Nod. Mm-hmm. Uh, we managed to get some, some funding from a couple of different places and that has and they've matched our funding. Well, so. it's interesting, isn't it? Because places like uh, Edinburgh and Brighton who have developed these kind of grassroots festivals, mm. they really should be seen as models. Oh, absolutely. And I think yes. that, that using the stuff who have been involved in yeah. fundamentally bringing those things to kind of fruition, yeah. I do think sharing them, you know, moving from council to council and showing yeah. people really and yeah. local government how these things 
can bring revenue, bring people to the area, can yeah. regenerate, I think is a really positive thing. And I think the more that starts to happen and spread, the more exciting Definitely. kind of festivals will get I mean, there, There's a lovely kind of uh, hub of theatre makers that's growing mm. around Croydon mm. now. Uh, there are several wonderful companies that I mentioned earlier uh, who are, have become really embedded in the mm -hmm. town. There's a regular meeting now amongst artists in Croydon, Great. which ha which the council facilitate, which is happening once a month. Next one is next week, actually. Oh, um, and so that's just that kind of networking where everyone can get together, talk about what they're doing, and just get to know each other, yeah. and then be for each other rather than against each other. Uh, what? It's hugely Absolutely. beneficial. Um, and we've seen the benefit of that in the immersive theatre circles with the gunpowder plotters. That's been mm. a hugely beneficial thing. Oh, to absolutely. meet up regularly, talk to each other, uh, share ideas and share yeah. practice, and just be for each other um, and promote each other. You know, that's, that's, that is hugely and helpful. Festivals like that that are so rooted kind of in, in, the, lo in the location yeah. that they've sort of grown out yes. of, are such important infrastructure when there is so little else now that we can access to start to grow this kind of work. Yes. Because it has mostly to this point been very pop-up, very DIY, yeah. but I think festivals like that give a, a structure and an infrastructure and Absolutely. that kind of support that you've been talking about. Yeah. And we, that means new companies can yeah. take risks and start to do and new and exciting a, work. Powerboat is a brand new company trying yeah. to access for example, Arts Council funding would be nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. But the Croydon Nights Festival, with Arts Council funding, is then able to in turn fund us. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And that, that, that got us going. You know, yeah. We owe, uh, Parable owes its existence to the Croydon Nights Festival in that yeah. regard. And then we were able to bring the show here. Uh, and then this, uh, and then of course there was Freaking Country. And then this year we're back at the Croydon Nights Festival again yeah. with Land of Nod, essentially taking the show that we developed three years ago and then bringing a whole load of new practice and development that we've, mm -hmm. you know, the stuff we've learned in the... In the, in well, the also, because there are minimal audiences for these things, I think it's really interesting because you can bring them back and take them to lots of different places yes. because there is a real appetite for this Definitely. kind of work. And you can't, I mean, even now as a researcher, I'm really struggling sometimes to get tickets for things because mm. they sell out so quickly, yeah. trying to access shows that are only on for a couple of days and then are gone again. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really nice to see things coming back and developing and coming back and developing because it starts to open that up and yes. become a bit more accessible yeah. in that way. I mean, I, I, I hope we get to do Land of Nod again. I'm sure we will at some point. Uh, we're having a chat with the, the council and, and also uh, started... The initial opening of a conversation with the police. She's trying to bring about it to Birmingham. To, to we have do. a lot of hundred uh, yeah. knife crimes really? in Birmingham. Well, this is a huge the thing. There are so, so many urban areas that do mm. different uh, different London boroughs as well. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that have a, a real issue there that it's difficult to affect. And the nice uh, thing is, is, every city, if you were to start to take it to other cities. Mm that city becomes a new character yes. in that work. Yes, and, and so then the, the work develops the, the character changes, well, of course. That, yeah. So that, I think that would be, would be hugely super, and I'm just being selfish as well, bring it, bring it out of London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting everyone at the moment, I'm like, bring things yeah. out of London to the rest of the UK. We are hungry for this work. <laughs> what's, it, what's interesting is that um, I've really noticed the difference between doing a show in Croydon and doing a show in central London mm. in terms of box office. And I think it's really sad that London audiences are not prepared to check out into the suburbs or not as readily prepared. I know. We, uh, you know, King Country is selling really well here in, yeah, yeah. in a, a central London venue. Uh, Land of Nods has sold reasonably well, mm -hmm. but we've not sold out. And yeah. there aren't that many tickets on sale. If it was here. If it was in central London, it would have sold out. It would have sold out. out. Pre, pre Immediately. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I don't think we would have had a problem at all. Uh, but there are still the fact that there are still tickets available. I think there are only three hundred tickets in a whole run. And Croydon's not exactly the sticks. No, it's not at all. It's fifteen <laughs> minutes from Victoria. Yeah, you know? exactly. But, but there is a particularly North London mentality of oh goodness, I can't possibly go south of the river. Yeah. I might die. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> we're not talking about you know going right all the way out here to sort of like Stratford. No, not at all. Which is a, a bit of a schlep. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I think people assume Croydon's going to be a long way away, but it genuinely is no. fifteen minutes from Victoria to East Croydon on a fast train. That's, I, I could spend 15 minutes getting from one side of London to the other on the tube, or longer probably. Well, I came from Euston um, to here today, and yeah. that took me 26 minutes. Well, exactly. So you can, it's quicker to get to Croydon now. than it is to get exactly. from Lucian, <laughs> Houston to Borough. Um, uh, and I think also there may be genuinely a fear that people are going to die if they go to Croydon. Croydon is actually quite nice, it's quite leafy. Yeah, I was um, say, I always, when I think of Croydon, I always think of leafy <laughs> green. Yeah, yeah, there are bits of Croydon that are rough. Uh, we're doing a show in a bit of Croydon that's not, I wouldn't say it was dangerous at all. It's, it's, it's actually quite relative. It's the restaurant quarter. It's mm-hmm. the, where the, the entertainment centre of Croydon is. Um, but there are also quite a few homeless people. There are quite a few drunks and drug addicts around in the, in the park. But I think that's the case for any town centre at the much moment. At a certain time of night in any London borough, you're going to find that. To be honest, my um, folks live in a tiny little uh, city in the Fens, Ely. Yeah. yeah. And... Same, same You're just as kind of come across those things there, and that's you know, yeah. sort of like rural England. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I've noticed the difference, and, and I think that's why a lot of companies do stick to London. It's because yeah. you know that you can sell a show. Yes. And it's proven that you can sell a show. And I think aside from some companies who have based themselves out in the regions and yes. are doing very well there and own that area. So through, speak. Yeah, through, gra- yeah. through exactly through, like you've through done in Croydon, through yeah. that grassroots. That's right. And a, a large number doing. of our audience in Croydon are Croydon people, yeah. which is nice in yeah. many ways, but I wish there were more folk who would come and see our work in Central in London in a heartbeat who would come out yeah. to Croydon and give it a try because it's, I, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've, obviously, I always have to travel pretty much when I'm coming to yeah, work, sure. but I'm a researcher and yeah. you've got a reason fanatic, to. Yeah. so I'm kind of, I will go to wherever it happens to be, wherever that might be. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been to some unusual, strange places and trekked for a m- many hours to get to things. But I think London audiences don't know how lucky they are, actually, no, just to have all these things all on doorstep. their doorstep. Right. Yeah. Um, but also, it's like, take that bit of a risk yes. and trust. Immersive theatre is about adventure. After yeah, all. It's so about it's like, taking a risk. It's about doing something a little bit out of the ordinary. Get on a train for 15 so, minutes. So go to Croydon. That's pretty out of the ordinary, <laughs> but it's worth doing. Um, you never know what you might find. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I, I've spoken to a couple of people as well who I've, I always um, say, they say, where's the best place to go and see a massive mm. something? Well, there's always something on at the collab yeah. factory. And um, they look at it on Google and they're like, oh, is that, oh, it's not a venue though. And it is. <laughs> it is. I was like, it's we've, okay. They're like, it doesn't look as new as I think anything. we've struggled a bit at the Colour Factory through everything having to be on a bit of a shoestring all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, that's, just the, that's just the way it is. It's the only way this venue would have got going. But I think this is a shining beacon in some respects because I remember, I spoke to Bertie when he first got in here, mm. that sort of, the, the very first month that he was in here. And it's such a different space now and the calibre of the work that's yes. been through here now yeah. is just astonishing and I think it has become kind of like a little enclave. Absolutely, and it's a hub for us. It's precarious isn't it? It's very precarious, we're still here and I think we'll be here for a while yeah, I hope so, so that's good. We have plans to move elsewhere as well so yeah. when, when when we finally lose the building I don't think the collab factory is going to die, I think it'll I just take, take root somewhere else, just go somewhere else which yeah. is fine. Um, <laughs> So I don't think we're gonna the, the colour factory is gonna gonna finish anytime soon. I mean, I, I 
I've not been here where I've been getting Land of Nod up on its feet, but mm. I intend to be back here okay. uh, afterwards. But uh, Except yeah. you're the venue manager, well, yeah. previously, yeah. and then I'm assuming you'll be coming. Yeah, something like that. I think, yeah, uh, and I still got to work out exactly what's going to happen in the next couple of months. <laughs> 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 so we need to sit down These and talk about that. finishing, but, aren't they? Because at the moment we've got Gatsby's close to finishing. Well, Gats- yeah, Gats- so Gatsby's uh, booking up to July. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, whether or not Gatsby continues after that. Obviously, that's... It depends on audience yeah. numbers, I guess. Audience numbers and what, what they want to do, and I don't think yeah. that decision's been made yet. Okay. Um, but Gatsby has run and run and run and run yeah, and run. Yeah, I was going to say, it's run, time, run and run much longer than oh, it yeah. was anticipated. And I think all the time the audience is there, I think the, the producers will be keen It'll to run. keep it running if Absolutely. possible. But obviously, the big question mark is also the venue itself, and that's what's held up extending yes. things in the past yeah and i think it, it, one of the difficulties in trying to keep a show running is if you can't be absolutely sure that your venue is going to be there yeah uh, you then potentially have yeah. problems of not having tickets on sale for long enough to be able to get the audience that you need to be able this to sustain venue it runs on love this it venue totally runs does. on yeah. people's blood sweat and tears yeah. and just sheer will of yeah. wanting to keep this venue oh, yeah. alive yeah. and i think a lot of the audience is like that too yeah. this this venue i think has audience that love this venue that patronise this venue and yeah. come specifically, come back and come back, back, and, back see, and back. Yeah. And, back. Um, and I think it's, uh, that's one of the things I kind of, I love about the Colab Factory, mm. but it's also one of the things that scares me a little because <laughs> overnight it could Those very easily could disappear. disappear. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's something that sits, I think, at the heart of this form in some ways, is mm. it's that really ephemeral nature of DIY pop-up. Everything it's very slightly, everything's temporary. Everything very is very temporary and very precarious. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when uh, when the drown man was going to close. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, somebody had, had said, you know, from? this is uh, you have another couple of months before it's gone forever. Make the most of it. Yeah. Um, uh, and I did make the most of it. I yeah, came yeah. to see it. I nearly bankrupted myself coming to see that damn show. I <laughs> and I was get, getting cheap tickets. You know? I struggled to get tickets because they were sold out yeah. often and I got them in, oh, the, in the extended. I've never panicked so much about tickets <laughs> by seeing sold out mark, markets <laughs> next day. No, I've missed my chance to see it on that date when I was free. No, I must book as yeah. many tickets as I can now because. You know, that, that, that's the yeah. visceral reaction that show provoked in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why I love this style of work, is that yeah. sitting and watching a play from a distance, whilst that can still be a wonderful experience, has never made me panic in the same no, sort no, of way. No, no, me neither. Just like, oh my God, if I'm not going to get a ticket to this, what am I going to do? That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I might die. Yeah, genuinely. Like, oh, I'm going to yeah. miss out on something life-changing. Absolutely, no. yeah. Um, and it is life-changing. Yeah. Uh, for me, I can trace, uh, it, you know, Parabolic Theatre started in the Drown Man, mm-hmm. started walking around inside Temple Studios. Uh, my friend, uh, very lovely of him, did his entire loop for, for me when I came to see it on oh. one, of the, one of the shows. I uh, got all of his interactions and, and one-to-ones and came out of that absolutely breathless. Did you get to go in the caravan? Uh, no, 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 it was, um, uh, he played Stanford, it was uh, oh, Stanford. I was going to say, did you get it? I never got to get in the camera. Oh, no, I didn't either. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, no, I wish I had. Bitter regret. But for me, the, the oranges <laughs> one-to-one was what defines perfection in terms of a one-to-one. That was something that was incredible. And for anyone listening who's had that, I'm sure they will know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was remarkable and it left me utterly breathless. And I thought that, mm-hmm. 
that's the best dish. That is the best dish I've ever experienced in my life. I know. I love. Yeah. Well, I make one on one, so I. Yeah. And I'm I am pushed all the time to sort of scale up and to think mm. about that. But for me. Oh, you can't scale up all the time. No, you can't. You can't that experience do it. of it it's just being the two of you. That uh, that's what that's with Land and Nod. That's why we keep the the, the numbers low. Yeah. That's why for yeah. all the work we've yeah. done, we've kept the numbers low. Because there is that pressure, and the moment I think we do start embedding into theatres. Yes. Which I don't think we probably will, because I think everyone, well, at least everyone I know who makes this kind mm. of work is fairly resistant to that model mm. because it can't really accommodate us no. and it can't really accommodate exactly It's interesting. Um, those so things. Vinicius, who's making Glitch for the Coordinates Festival, he is working on a, another show, Ox, uh, which I've seen some of the design for. Uh, they, he is trying to create a model that can tour and that can tour into theatre spaces, but that oh. is nevertheless a, an immersive show. And that okay. it's worth talking to. Actually, yes, I, I think. Uh, well, I was looking through the program yeah. while I sat upstairs earlier, going, "I'm going to have to talk to them. I need to mm, go and see this. I need to go." And I'm hoping some of that stuff does come out of. Yeah. Croydon and tours a bit, so I've I got think time it will. I, I would love to get Glitch here at the Colab Factory. I think that is worth. Uh, it would fit the basement space really well. That would well, be great so. because uh, um, it's come at a really bad time for me in terms of being really super busy, which is really mm, irritating. Yes. Um, but I do want to see some of that work, so I'm yeah. hoping it. But yes, they find ways for, to bring for, it. Well, for, for Ox, <laughs> what they're trying to do is, is create a show that you can tour nationally and internationally. Oh, that would be interesting. Which will to see have a, a very elaborate set, but it's a set that's been designed so that you can fit it into, I think it's like a couple of Luton vans. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's, it, it'll be incredible once, they, once I've got the cash to do it, and they're, and they're pretty close to that now. I, I think that's going to be a real game I'll changer. Keep my eye on that and then, the fact yeah. that that can, in theory, go into a theatre space. Uh, I, I think that's interesting because then yes, that's that. that the, I agree with you. I think the minute we start trying to develop immersive theatre specifically, specifically for theatre spaces, for that, I think that's it's going to go wrong. Going to be a that's problem, the, yeah. Part of the joy of this sort of work is that it doesn't take place, take place in a conventional theatre space. Yes. You know? And again, going back to practitioners, Grotowski's work in the theatre laboratory, it's that yeah. idea, you know, that, yes, you, you, that you don't need the, all of the accoutrements of a theatre no, to no. be able to make theatre. No. Um, but I also think there's something valuable about being able to tour this kind of work authentically yes. to venues that, that people are, that are established that people will go and see. Because this is the problem we have at the moment, yeah. isn't it? Is that we have a few little places where this stuff can happen, yeah. but outside of those, yes, there isn't. Where do you take it to? Yeah, it's like right. you're saying, oh, it's so London-centric because all of those it? spaces yeah. are here now. So, so you know, they can't bring it to the Rep in no. Birmingham. No. That's but I'm sure there are other venues there that they yeah. could bring it to. Absolutely. And, but so it's starting to make, I think, uh, it, yes, that's finding that way time. Of it. It's finding ways to tour, finding ways to make relationships yeah. and build those networks of venues that might be slightly more unusual. Because every city has mm. some unusual arts venues Definitely. that we, can accommodate. When we developed Morningstar, uh, that was with a view to, can we tour this? Um, yeah. So we have taken it to two different locations so far. Three different locations, actually. Sorry, excuse me. Um, but uh, we, I'd love to tour that show. Yeah. It's, it's quite a cheap show to tour. This, yeah, yeah. It's a small cast. Um, all you need is a creepy basement, really. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, and there's loads of those. Yeah, there's loads of those. So anyone listening who's got one, call me. I think, I think <laughs> one of the interesting things about this as well is that there is always, I think, a lot of tourable theatre shows don't really have to accommodate the space. They can sort of, they're designed to just go and be in the space. Yes. But I think with a lot of uh, immersive and interactive workers, even in those new spaces, there's going to have to be. A little bit of tweaks, a little yeah. bit of development. Yes. Well, the and space, I think, does become a character in your show. Well, absolutely. And you have to then accommodate so that and, yeah. and adapt the show around that character. So you can't just kind of work. send your cast off yeah. to tour no. the UK by themselves no. because... It's never going to work like that. It's, it's not going to work like that. It's too... Yeah. It's, it's going to have to always be 
a couple of days there yeah, so that to set it up and to make and, yeah. and that's why I think it makes it more difficult for festivals as well. We, oh, of course. We we were quite interested in the idea of taking Morningstar to the Vault Festival. Well, when you've got twenty minutes in, twenty minutes, twenty minutes get in, twenty minutes get out. Made like, that show work at somewhere like Vault, even or Edinburgh. Or I'm Edinburgh. finding Edinburgh huge. Oh, trying to find a way yeah. to get something into Edinburgh. Like, unless you've got a venue you can hang on to that nobody else is in, it's just not possible. And of course, there aren't those no. doing Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's impossible. Yeah, it really so, is. but interestingly, Land of Nod was something that we thought would be tourable because it takes, because place, it takes outside. place outside. And you, we, we need we have two indoor locations that we absolutely need for Land of Nod, and we can accommodate a few more if we have the option to accommodate yeah. a few more. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and those can be pretty much anywhere and mm-hmm. we can set them up to make them the work. The, the design aspect of it is not crucial to land and because yeah. the design because the is done for is, you by the world. The yeah, that's exactly, right, yeah. exactly. Um, uh, so so there's um, something else I wanted to ask you slightly about as well in terms of uh, with your, your venue uh, mm. manager head on. Oh, yeah. And there's been a little bit of a shift, I think, in the last year or so towards some ethical approaches to mm. making this kind of work. So, yeah. for example, Lab Collective with Incoming Exodus, mm. um, work like Droves as well yeah. that was here. And there's, there's other examples of this as well. So kind of how, how where do you think this kind of sort of more politically charged work sort of sits within the kind of overall kind of immersive um, landscape? Um, and of course, Land yeah. Nord has that. Yeah, has that aspect has, too has I mean, speaking of, too. I again like to link that back to practitioners of the past. Mm. Uh, if you look at the work of Brecht, Brecht always wanted people to engage politically with with the shows Absolutely, that he created. Yeah. Uh, he wanted people to be uh, awake and alive and viscerally connected to the to the work that was going on, invested in it. He talked about wanting theatre to be more like a boxing match with yeah. people yeah, yeah, cheering yeah, yeah. and shouting and 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 being. F- physically engaged with what was going on, mm-hmm. not able to just sit back and watch passively and have a chat to their friend while they were doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah, or be on their phone, yeah, exactly. uh, the modern equivalent thereof. Um, so I, th- I think seeing a lineage of his theory feeding into immersive theatre and using the techniques that have been developed mm-hmm. to, to, as a new way of storytelling to an audience, I think you can see a realisation of what he wanted to achieve. Yeah. As well, and I think um, it was inevitability because I think a lot of the shows, especially the big shows, yeah. are quite nihilistic. They yeah. are hedonistic, yes. and they are about having a really good night yes. out. Yes. But aside from that, then yeah. you have these shows like Incoming Exodus. So one of the things when when we were starting Parabolic Theatre, one of the stated aims, you know, we, we kind of did our business plan, mm-hmm. and I, one of my stated aims was I wanted to be able to create politically and socially engaged immersive theatre because yeah. I saw that as something that wasn't really being done. Yeah, so, no, I agree, uh, uh, I agree. A few years ago, and I think it is being done by, by quite a few companies now, but uh, that was something that we were really interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Land of Nob was developed with that in mind. Uh, I, you know, again, looking at practitioners, uh, Boal and Forum Theatre, he... And playback theatre as well, yeah, it's, it's kind of verbatim, all of those absolutely. sorts of things. Yeah, though, though, those connections, this... It's interesting, when you, you're going to see for King and Country tonight, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, so I think, uh, what I was saying earlier about, about the boxing match, yeah. making theatre more like a boxing match, I think in for King and Country we achieve that to some extent. Uh, for King and Country is a very political play, mm-hmm. hugely political actually, um, and about mo- modern politics as much as anything else, and was developed with that in mind. Um, and I think it's a step further from, from where Boal got to with, with Forum Theatre. Forum Theatre was about trying to give the audience agency to 
to change the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, looking at and analysing a problem and then finding solutions through playing those role playing those solutions out. Yeah. Um, I think what we do is try and take that to the next level or to, mm-hmm. the, to a stage further, in, particularly in Fakin Country, although also to a certain extent with, with Land and Nod as well. Um, in Fakin Country, the audience have a huge amount of agency to affect the direction of the show. Okay. Uh, they are fully in the driving seat, really pretty much from the word go. Yeah. And um, although the show, and I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen it, although the show always ends in the same place, mm-hmm. it, the path that you get to can be radically different depending on the choices that are made. Okay. And we've had some very interesting audience choices that have been made over time. Well, this is um, often the difficulty as well, isn't it? It's trying to talk about work yeah. without really without giving <laughs> anything away. Yes, yes. It's always the same. So whenever I listen back to these conversations, I'm like, everything is so oblique. No one really says anything about work. Yeah, you've got to be quite careful. Because you've got yeah. to be so yeah. careful yeah. about not spoiling it yeah. for people who haven't been yet, yeah. especially work that's going on. <laughs> historical work. But then there's often a chance you'll bring back historical work too. So is everyone always trying to, trying to be clear, but also not Really yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to try and avoid being that guy if I can. <laughs> it's impossible. It's absolutely yeah. impossible. Uh, Fikini Country mm-hmm. has a couple of quite fun twists, which is which are the things that I'm trying not mm-hmm. to spoil. But um, essentially, we developed that show uh, partly as a response to Brexit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the. The idea for the show came from doing the Morningstar Get Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was down here uh, packing everything up and loading up the van, and uh, one of the guys who was just helping with the Get Out was an actor friend who just came along because we needed some help because we yeah, had a huge of amount of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff. Uh, he was down here, he's a bit of a, a 1940s nerd, uh, work, has worked a lot at Cahoots, which is the themed bar um, as a host there. Uh, it dresses habitually in 1940s clothes, like he does. It's a very snappy dresser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he was down there and he said, this place really looks like the kind of war rooms. Mm-hmm. And we looked and I thought, actually, yeah, there's yeah, quite a lot of does, similarity. Yeah. And, and we started thinking about what shows we could do down here, if we were going to do another show down here. And we got talking about the war. And obviously I've got a huge background in, in tabletop gaming. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, uh, there's a tabletop game that I love called Bolt Action, which is produced by Warlord Games. It's a... It's a, a, a um, a World War Two miniatures war game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they just released a, a supplement for that, which was like an alternative history supplement uh, about Operation Sea Lion, which is the Nazi invasion, proposed mm-hmm. Nazi invasion of Britain, yeah. and it was a what if that went ahead, allowing you to play out the different scenarios of yeah. what might happen. So I'd just been reading that; that was in the back of my head. And people were talking, we were listening to a radio broadcast uh, in the van about Brexit. I think it was Nigel Farage on LBC talking about Brexit. Um, and, and invoking Churchill mm-hmm. and all these sort of things about the spirit of the Blitz and mm-hmm. and it just made me really angry because I thought that is completely the opposite of what Churchill thought. Churchill know, was so pro-Europe. I know, I know. He was so somebody who, who wanted a United States of Europe and at the end of the war people were, That's what people died for. People were all about closer cooperation with their European neighbours and trying to ensure that a second, a third war didn't happen. Didn't happen, um, absolutely. And that was the whole point of it. And so to then invoke those people and their, their words... Hanging in, in their graves! Oh, God, yeah. It just made me angry. Yeah, and I, yeah. I was talking to my friend about this and we were, we were driving along and we thought, what, what, about, what if we'd been invaded? Yeah. Would we still be able to do that? 
if we'd been invaded, how would we feel about Europe then? Mm. You know, that's the difference between Britain and all the other countries in Europe that were invaded, that were yeah, participated in the war. Yes. Every other country that participated in the war was invaded in some way at some point. Yeah. And we were the only ones that weren't, apart from sort of Jersey yeah, and yeah, yeah. the Channel Islands and so on. And so it's part of our national identity, therefore, is this isolationist attitude of, of a different experience of the war. Yeah. I talked to my wife, who's Dutch. You know, the Dutch experience of the war is one of hiding. It's one of yes. uh, being in secret, of trying to get on and, and do things of without resistance. the Nazis. No, yeah, of resistance. Uh, and the same in France. And actually Absolutely. the same for Germany, when Germany began yes. to be invaded. Yes, and the same for the Soviet and Union Poland. and Poland and all of these other European countries. Um, and, and Italy as well. So for, for us, we don't have that as part of our national background. And, and, no. it, and so it got us talking about what if we had been invaded? Would we still want Brexit? If we'd been invaded by the, by the Germans and we'd relied upon our would European neighbours to help still us, want that? would we still want to be divorced from Europe? And, and so that's what started the, the, the show, really. That by the time we'd arrived at our storage facility and started unpacking everything, we'd got the bones of an idea for, mm-hmm. for, for a story. But from the outset, it was a political play. It was the, and although as we, we've marketed it in a fun way, we've tried to market it in a nostalgic well, of course, way. Of because you want people to come. You want people to come see <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You want it to be fun yeah. as well. And this, this is the ways. thing uh, that... Um, this is the thing I was talking to, to Lynn Gardner about a few weeks ago when she was writing her article about um, about immersive theatre and where it is at the moment. Um, this idea that we get penalised as immersive theatre makers by the theatre establishment yes. for marketing our work in a fun way. Yes. For trying to appeal yeah. to people to come and see it because you're going to have a good time. Yeah. We then end up looking like we don't have artistic credibility. Yeah. And treading that fine line... It's, it's difficult. Oh, God. It's yeah, exactly it's really like, Especially yeah. if you do something hard... If you're dealing with something that's a challenging subject or a difficult subject, mm. it is that, that fine line of saying, yeah. this is going to be hard or difficult, but it's also going to be fun. <laughs> the Immersive Gatsby is a, is a really good example. The Immersive Gatsby is, I think, an artistically brilliant show. You know, mm. there, there's some gorgeous stuff in there. Um, but it's very much marketed towards uh, people, particularly women, who want to dress up and have yeah. a fun night out and drink a lot of champagne. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's how you get the bums on the seats. Yes, of course <laughs> people, it is. It's a very easy sell. People, there are very few people like me who will go to a show knowing it's going to be hard to live through. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's a problem we've had with Land of Nod because obviously uh-huh. it, it is about what it's about. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be interesting and good, but do I really want to spend the next couple of hours thinking about knife crime? Maybe not. Like, that's, that but is a tough sell. That, that is the, exactly. Yeah. And that, that's all this kind of work has to really think about is, is appealing yeah. to making people want to come yeah. but also then doing something which can still provoke yes. can still challenge yeah. and can still be Hidden Figures I think was a brilliant example yes, of a show, really, show really that marketed that itself very pretty much well. exclusively towards the date night crowd yeah, yeah. They, were, they, they, didn't, they were not heavy about the content at all but when you came and you watched it they hit you with something that was very powerful yeah and but it was also gently handled. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was not. It was not heavy-handed at all. No, yeah, which I thought it was really, really yeah. beautiful. Because there is a there is a lot of immersive work that is just nihilistic. It's yes. just about hedonistic having yeah. a great time. And there's definitely a place for that, I think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and they're, they're yeah. still beautiful shows yeah. as well. You know, they they, they, mm. they have incredible sonography, incredible kind of physical theatre being used in some mm. of those things as well. But they are ultimately about this kind of spectacle. Yeah. And I think actually what the lab, the factory has managed to do very well is 
have a mix of work yeah. that is a bit more provocative, yes. that is a bit more challenging, yes. which doesn't necessarily look that way from advertising materials because of exactly what you're talking yeah, about. That's right. So, and I, I think it's something I learned from, <clears throat> from from looking at Paul because Paul Paul's come to Paul, this is Paul King. Uh, he from, comes at it from a party. He's coming at it from a, from a, a from the angle of, of running interesting parties. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's 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 his background, and. Um, he created something that that was absolutely gorgeous, it uh, was. and and we, you know, and Zoe as well. well we did it together, didn't we? So. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yes, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we did. were in the same group. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, it brought a tear to my eye. The ending of that show, yeah, it was um, a and that, show. It, that doesn't happen often. And we didn't even go to the full full. No, when we did it together. Right. We yeah. went to the yeah. preview. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah, the full, it was yeah, great. The, the full effect. I it's think, very incestuous at the collab factory. It is a little bit. Yeah, it is a little bit in a nice way. The whole scene is is very incestuous yeah, in that way exactly. <laughs> but that's one of the things I think that's kept it going yeah. and will keep it going yes, definitely. is the people and I, and I also think it's not a it's not a closed clique that's what I've loved about it you know I've come to immersive theatre relatively I've come I feel like I've come relatively late to the party Parabolic's only been running three years uh, not even that actually just two years yeah um, so you know we've been Parabolic yeah, yeah, yeah. theatre since 2016 and the roots of that were a little That's bit exciting. before that, but it's re- it's a relatively new company. But I've been welcomed with open arms by people like Same the Gunpowder Potters, and and that's uh, mm. I, I, at no point have I ever felt like this is an exclusive industry that just has its little clique and everybody else can. Go. I mean, I've been working uh, academically in this field and performatively for ten years, mm. but really very on the fringes because of being mm. much more involved in kind of the live art side of things. Um, but it was two years ago pretty much to the day that I walked in and met Bertie yeah. uh, and then got invited kind of into the gunpowder plot and yeah. again it was so inclusive yeah. and friendly yeah. and warm yeah. and um, a community yeah. in all aspects of what that word might mm. mean and so that has been really interesting to have and I feel really privileged to have that kind of insight yeah. into that world, that world as a researcher and as a maker as well yeah. I think it's great that's why I always hope. I just I hope in one form or another, yeah. the spirit of, of the factory. Or well, of what we what we have, do here is we, we have an open door. You know, we exactly. we, we never turn people away. Take risks. If people want to come in and have a chat and tell us about their work, we're always happy to see people, new people mm-hmm. coming in and doing that. There's and always someone in here. I've never been yeah. in when there's no one yeah, here. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is great. It is, it's fabulous. I mean, even today there's people just rehearsing yeah, and it's, in the space. Yeah, and it's very easy to just come in and get involved. We've had a lot of people come through our door who've just come in on a punt and who've stayed, which yeah. is great. And there's a constant open call for work yeah, as well yeah, here. So if you yeah. have an idea and you are, you do want to t- try always, something out. Always interested in something new, and that's what this basement space is for. For King of Country is going to be here, <laughs> we're, we're, we're booking here till the 10th of June. I think okay. we, we have not have an option to extend, which we may do. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, but, it's dependent on... Yeah. So if you haven't been yet... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pick tickets and come. Get down. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but then looking at uh, looking forward uh, beyond into the autumn and so I was going to say, yeah, what are your plans moving we're, forward? Once we've got confirmation that we're going to be here as long as we intend to be, mm-hmm. then uh, then we'll be, be booking up new, yeah, up some new work for the autumn. We've already got a few things sort of in the pipeline, mm-hmm. which is great. So, yeah, yeah. Um, How about Parabolic as well? What have you got after? Oh, well, um, goodness. Uh, we've got a few things. Um, we've been invited to the, the Gothenburg Fringe Festival. 
Fabulous. <laughs> I did Which, hear uh, rumours about that last time I was here, but I hadn't so heard the, anything They're trying to programme so. a lot of immersive work. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, and so they, they wanted us to come and bring a show. I think they wanted us to bring King Country, but it's just a little bit too unwieldy to try and take it to a whole different country. Yeah. Uh, only for a week. Yeah, know? no, uh, no. It's, it's just not going to work. Really so we're developing a new piece for them called Country of Eternal Light, which will give you a clue as to what it's about. Um, for those people who are intimately familiar with the with the the, the thing that we're basing it on, um, which we'll hopefully preview here before we go, and, and possibly bring it back after we've after we've finished over there. And uh, that's going to be influenced quite strongly by Seth Creeble's work, which yes, I, I absolutely Seth. love. Yeah, I've, I've um, oh, yeah, he I think he's phenomenal. Um, yes, um, he has a new piece at the moment. He was doing the yeah. House Repeated uh, series for a while. He's got a piece based on Beowulf, I think, isn't Beowulf, he? Beowulf, yeah. I really, I really, really I haven't seen it again. I really I, want yeah, to. It was at the so, back for only a few days and I couldn't get there. Brighton, but I can't oh, yeah, get down. Really Birmingham's quite far from Brighton now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping, but he usually does tour. Yeah. Or so, at least he'll be at Battersea, I would have yeah, thought. He's so. been at Battersea already, uh, but hopefully he'll go back He usually there. comes back. It was right in the middle of preparing for this. Yeah, so can, this is, and this is the other problem actually with this kind of work is it will tend to not, apart from here, mm. things don't run long. No. They'll be on for maybe one night, two nights, yeah. three nights if you're lucky, so yeah. it can be challenging. Yeah. But do, if you're trying to get hold of something, try and keep your eyes open because things do tend to mm. pop up, especially Seth, he does yeah, tour his work quite well. I'd, I'd, I'd love to get to know him and have a chat to him actually. If you're listening to this, Seth, well, he's based He's based in Brighton as well, <laughs> he is, so uh, he's... Uh, Usually yeah. fairly accessible. I think his email address is on his website too, yeah. so just. Oh, well, I have to give him. He's super friendly. Just he's, yeah, uh, I, just, I loved his out. work. I saw some of his stuff at, at the Batsyard Centre and was blown mm-hmm. away by how engaging that is and what he's doing with really no set, no props, but what he's able to conjure in the mind's eye is remarkable. It's entirely mechanic based, isn't it? Yeah. But it exposes the mechanic yes. at the same time as employing it's very them. It's, yeah. it's very, very clever. Very clever. So I was, I was, I'd be wanting to uh, experiment around with some of the things that I've seen him do mm-hmm. and see what we can produce. So that's, he, that was a great opportunity to do that. audiences in a very unique yes. and interesting yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. So that's I think partly what we're looking to, okay. to play around with a little bit. And um, when is that sort of happening? Well, that's at the end of the summer. The festival, I think, is in September, first week of September. Okay. So we'll be putting that together over the summer. But we have a huge show, which we've been planning since before we were Parabolic Theatre. There's something that we're working towards mm-hmm. that is... Um, we just need enough money and the right space to do it. Um, it's a, we, 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 it'll be the first show that we do that's based on an existing play. Uh, it's a play that I, I don't want to share the name of, but no, it's, it's, a, it's a, a very, it's an old play, uh, one that's not really been it's performed. <laughs> well, it's not been performed in London for I think twenty to thirty years. Wow. Um, uh, but it's got a huge uh, pedigree. Um, and uh, loads of geeks will now go and figure get, out what yeah, this is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've we've done a we've done a lot of groundwork in it already. Okay. Um, and and is that a case of funding? It is. It's it's going to cost us quite a lot of money. Uh, we're looking at something that would be uh, approximately twelve actors, but we need quite a large indoor wow, space so, to, yeah. to build that world. It'll be something that will feel probably more like a punch drunk show than anything that else that we've done so far. Okay. Um, but hopefully, still very interactive. Okay. Um, we're still working through exactly how to make that work. 
so the, it'll be a bit of an experiment for us. It, it's something that we where we want to we want to employ audi- audiences wearing masks. Uh, we want to play around with that um, and see what we can do with that mechanic mm-hmm. and actually use it, or perhaps not the mechanic. Um, so that that will form a part of it. Um, and I think it'll be something that, that I hope will appeal to people who love punch runs work partly because mm-hmm. punch runs seem to have abandoned that particular way of doing things, which yeah. is, I can see they want to head in a direction of further experimentation, which is great. Yeah. But I think that there is something, there's more to be mined from oh, that absolutely. style of There's work. an awful lot of plays I'd like to get inside of in that way. In that way, yeah. And I think that's what we're, we're hoping to, to, <laughs> to achieve. Obviously, it's not a punishment show. It'll it'll be a parabolic show. It'll mm-hmm. feel different. It'll feel, I hope, more like our work. But I um, am surprised no one's um, done any of the hyper naturalistic sort of last well, not even last century, previous century, but like Ibsen, Chekhov. Mm. Yeah, there's so much. There's a lot to be mined in those as well, isn't there? There really yeah. is, and yeah. also those worlds you could operate in houses. Yes. Yes, you because could. Because they're yeah. that sort of domestic. Yeah, that sort of domestic setting, smaller. Room. Yeah, you could potentially. But how you manage an audience in that. Mm. It's something, again, it's something I've been thinking about because one of my favourite plays is uh, Hedda Gabler. Ah, yes. Well, that's that's definitely, you could do that in a, in a domestic setting, potentially. Indeed. So <laughs> it's, been, it's one of those things that's been bubbling away in the back yeah. of my mind for like 10 yeah, years. Yeah, how to make I, that work. Find how, a, how do you make that intimate mm. drawing room Hyper sort of naturalism. How can you make that pay for itself in terms of audience numbers? That's exactly. But also, how do you allow the audience inside something that is that yeah. naturalistic in that way that has that yeah. very set fixed yeah. plot points and narrative mm, it's quite without it becoming plot. something else? Yeah. So that that's something I've been mm, sort of mull around because yeah. no one's really done that yet no. either. I think no. which is quite interesting. And that would Probably be a really Talked about it on the podcast. On the podcast. <laughs> Somebody will go and do it. If someone's listening and they are going to do it, if you are going to do it, just just do head of garbler because I love that play. <laughs> and actually, it's very topical right now yeah, with the, yeah. the female lead and the way that that politics of yeah, that piece of yeah. work. So if anyone is listening and has funds and the capabilities, well, yeah, that's do it. it that's and I want it. a free ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, but we're looking at what we want to do is, is produce a show that's. Um, where we can have a more substantial audience, we're looking at trying to yeah, somewhere between eighty and one hundred, maybe wow. one hundred twenty people, and, and and produce a larger scale thing. Yeah. I think we we feel ready for that now as a company, mm-hmm. um, and for King Country is paying the bills and it's it's bringing in some some cash, so that may end up yeah. part, at least part funding that project. Um, well, that's the thing, isn't it? With more, the, the longer they run yeah. and have paid for themselves, yeah. the more than they're just generating revenue generating that you revenue, can. Yeah. And actually, that's, Put into other that show's become a bit of a, 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 a revenue-generating juggernaut, where it's heading in that direction, which Great. is awesome. So, that's brilliant. Um, if we can keep that running a while and, and do do stuff with it, all to the, all to the good. But that's that'll, that'll be our next big project, and I'd love to get cracking on that next year, but it is entirely mm. space-dependent oh. and finding the right space to do it in. Absolutely. Um, and, and, like you said, accessible because the audience is... Yeah, getting people and to And how they manoeuvre and how yeah. they'll... Yeah. Yeah, kind of get themselves to that. So, what's the best way for people to follow you and to keep up with things? Do you tweet? We do email? tweet quite a lot. Yeah. So, para- <laughs> parabolic underscore parabolic underscore. That's our Twitter handle, um, and uh, that's probably the best way. Is a, is a okay, keep so an eye on our Twitter feed because a lot comes out of that. But we've also got a website. Uh, you'll find us at parabolic 
parabolictheatre.com mm-hmm. and parabolictheatre.co.uk as well, which mm-hmm. both points to the same Oh, okay, site. they both go to the same yeah. one. And do you have a Facebook page? Uh, yeah, we do, well? which well, is... Yeah, little, you don't have to remember, but you just search. But yeah, you can, can search for Parabolic Theatre on Facebook, you can you'll find probably find there. us. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be on there. Um, and yeah, so keep an eye, keep, watch this space for things that are coming up. That's um, very exciting. And so if people want to chat, then some, you'll be probably be around in the factory. Absolutely. Yeah. Night Festival After the Night Festival finished, I, I tend to be back around here. Um, so, yeah, if anyone ever fancies a chat, a cup of tea coming in. Always welcome. Everyone <laughs> yeah, is welcome. Absolutely. You get to yeah. smell that lovely immersive theatre smell <laughs> if you come into the basement. You definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> Even in massive, expensive shows I've been to, like I went to uh, Grim Tales at the Oxo Tower. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, same smell. Yeah, but that was pungent in that It one. really was. Wow. <laughs> I thought that had got into my bones by the time I came out of that venue. I was like, oh my God, I smell like mould. <laughs> there must be a spot at immersive theatre, people who get on the tube, because you just have kind of uh, an... Aura of mold about you, just damp. Yeah, it's amazing how that that, that smell fires up the uh, fires up the brain cells, doesn't it? It, it does. It makes me excited. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Definitely. So uh, I should probably avoid places that smell like that. don't have anything exciting going on, like dirty canals. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, I know things are really busy with the festival and everything at the moment. So um, there are loads more things I'd love to talk to you about. But I think the way things are going, I'm probably going to have to sort of start over again and yes. head back and talk to everyone because things have changed so much yeah. in the last two years for everybody that I'm yeah. talking to. So it's a constantly evolving world. This and there's always new Absolutely. people coming up. Loads there's of always new, new projects. Definitely more this year than I've seen previously yeah. I think coming it's sort of coming thick and fast it now, really is, is isn't it yeah. nice and there's a huge choice of things but there's an ecosystem there to support it yes. there's an audience yeah. there for it um, hungry yeah. I mean things uh, we had one immersive event that's going to be happening in October in uh, Birmingham at mm. the Living History Museum mm. the Living Country sorry Black Country Living History Museum I think it's called <laughs> uh, but it's based on Peaky Blinders oh wow um, I logged on <coughs> 10 minutes before the tickets went on sale because I was like, oh, it's in the Midlands. It'll be, I'll be able to get tickets, no problem. Uh, hits the time, you're 87,000 in the queue or something. Oh, my goodness, like, Oh, wow. I was like, okay. So there is definitely an appetite. There is, isn't there? Apps, tickets sold out. They extended it. They sold out when they did the extensions immediately. And this is just for an evening, a themed evening of Peaky Blinders oh, on the set. Well, yeah, because they film it at the Black Country that Museum. Makes me, that makes me think about Birmingham. <laughs> and the interesting thing about, I, I don't even, yeah. I, I don't know how they feel about this Black Country Museum. I apologise if you have no interest, but I'm assuming you do. Oh, it's all um, period streets. They took all the old houses from other places and rebuilt it there. So there's drawing rooms going back from like 17 century houses all the way up to kind of like Edwardian streets, Victorian streets, and fully functioning houses. Yeah. So it's like, it's a very cool place. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Because it's themed, but not themed in that kind of yeah. sort of tacky theme park way. It's like the real things yeah. have all been brought into one big site. Mm. And so, yeah, it's well worth having potentially a look at as a venue, maybe. I yeah, don't know. that does sound good. But yeah, the tickets sold out immediately, like wow. in seconds. So wow. I suspect there is... There is a market. There is a market outside of yeah. London for these things. But again, it's about potentially, I suppose, attaching to things that people recognise, venues yeah. Yeah. or spaces yeah. that already have mm, following some audience already. Too, yes. Yeah, and I think, and of course, that's Peaky Blinders. So I guess the show, yeah. the TV show is what's... 
what created that yeah. kind of uh, fascination with that. But it holds a similar fascination to Gatsby in terms of it's dressing up. Mm. It's dressing up in that period, going to kind of have a story that you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, there, I think there are some interesting venues in and around. We should have a chat afterwards, Ben, and I'll... As I start to learn more things around mm. in and around Birmingham, yeah. let you know if there's any good stuff. Yeah. Right, so if you're listening, the best way is Twitter uh, to keep informed of everything that's going. And of course, if you go on the uh, Colab Factory website as well, yeah. you'll see everything that's coming up and all the programming. You can get your Absolutely. tickets yeah. to everything through that. Yeah. And in terms of uh, Land of Nod for tickets, where So it's on Design My Night. If you go to the Croydonites website, that's the Croydonites Festival, we're part of that. There'll be links there, there okay, to, to it, but you can also just search for Land of Nod on, on Design My Night, or there's links from the Parabolic Theatre webpage as well, so you, oh, can, you can get to it that way so as well. So you can get tickets that way. Yeah. So if you haven't got tickets and you really want to go, go! Yeah, absolutely. Please do. It's only on for another uh, 10 days or so. So we've got this weekend and next that's weekend, great. and then that's it. It's, it's done. And uh, who knows? It was three years between <laughs> between shows last exactly. time. Exactly. So it may. I'd love to bring it back, but who knows how quickly we'd be able to do that? Um, well, if so you're moving on doing other big projects, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we catch may not it. may not be around for a while. So catch, catch it while it's on. Same as uh, King Country as yeah, well. Yeah, King, King Country is booking till the 10th of June. We may extend it, but just in case we don't get in quick, get while in the, quick. all the opportunities there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for chatting to me. Pleasure. Pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As you know. Uh, I actually have a day job as a theatre scholar and things are suddenly incredibly busy. I'm working on a number of funded projects and a number of funding applications. And on top of that, VEX, which is Vertical Exchange Performance Collective, my performance company, is also preparing to perform in Paris in July. So because of all that wonderful manic madness, I'm actually going to be taking a break for a little while. So just a few months off um, so that I can immerse myself while in immersive performance and immersive research actually <laughs> so uh, do make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss our return in the autumn uh, have a lovely summer and i will see you on the other side